0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. We are jumping back in after a after we hit the pause button on our journey through the book of Proverbs for about eight weeks uh, as we spent some time in our transformed uh spiritual growth campaign, which was good. Uh, actually, we, we it's more like of a parenthesis because uh, we looked for God's wisdom across these past seven or eight weeks in seven key areas of our lives. And if you'll go back and look at your sermon notes uh, for that series, as well as your life group session notes, you'll find that much of the material we took was right out of the book of Proverbs. For we've been studying... God's wisdom. We began back in August and we've made it all the way to chapter 3 today, all the way to chapter 3. And so we're going to continue our study of God's wisdom for good living, for the good life, what that looks like, skillful living, wise living in dealing with the complexities of Uh, of life. So if you've got your Bibles, I hope you do. Uh, Turn about just like right there, right in the middle of the Bible, the book of Proverbs chapter 3. If you've got your uh, digital copy on your smartphone or your uh, iPad or another device, turn there. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to to read through verse 8. We'll probably at best only get through verse 4. Through verse 4. So let's look at Proverbs Chapter 3, this is God's Word. "'My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart.' And do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways and He will guide you on the right paths. Don't consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Now remember, uh, we have defined all through August and all through September, we have defined wisdom as competence in skillful living, competence in skillful living with regard to to the complex life and the complex realities of the life in which we live. Remember, we are all born foolish. Now, that does not mean we're sinful. That does not mean we're we're, uh, uh, dumb, Uh, but it does mean that we are ignorant of the wisdom of God. Now, everybody's ignorant, right? Look around. Just look at us. I mean, ignorance is not a bad... We're all ignorant people. We're just ignorant on different topics. We can't know everything. Only God has total knowledge. So we're all ignorant people. Uh, The Bible says that we are born uh, ignorant of the wisdom of God, that folly is in our hearts. Now, we define folly in our culture today as fun, folly, fun. No, 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 no. The literal meaning of the word folly is foolish, lack of wisdom. And it simply speaks of being naive to, uh, to the complexities of life, to the realities of life, of how life in this world and in eternity really works. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, uh, one of my favorite writers, uh, wrote these words, Wisdom is not identical to moral goodness or moral values. For example, you might decide you really want to help a poor family get out of poverty. That's right, that's noble, and you might do it in a completely ethical way and still ruin their lives because you're not conversant with the complexity of the realities of how things really work in this world is related to poverty. It's not good enough for a person to be a person of vision, a person of high principle, a person of high moral values if you're not a person of wisdom, and here's why. Wisdom is the ability to know what the right thing to do is in the 80% of life situations to which the moral rules do not apply. For most of the decisions you have to make, the moral values, whatever you think they are, don't apply because there are three, four, or five different things that are options and they're all allowable. They're all moral. So which is the right one? In every area of our lives, the work area, the love area, the marriage, the family, we have decisions we have to make. And if we don't make them wisely, we're going to blow up our lives and the lives of people around us. Therefore, being good, being right, being moral, having right moral values is not enough. We have to be wise. We have to be wise. So chapter 3 brings us... To, beginning, to the beginning of the answer to the question, okay, how do I become wise? That's nice to know. We've been saying, be, you know, basically for two chapters in Proverbs, uh, the writer of Proverbs, God's been saying, and I've been echoing, been His voice piece to you saying, be wise, be wise, be wise, be wise. And, but you may be writing in the margin of your Bible like I do, the, the little letters um, YBH with a question mark, which always stands for me, yes, but how? How do I become wise? Well, chapter 3 begins to tell us what the journey looks like to wisdom. And he opens up by saying this with this address. Once again, Solomon, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, uh, speaks these words, My son, and not just any son. Here again we have the motif of a father or a parent opening this, this conversation with very tender words to his own child. Not just in, not just anyone's son, but my son. And so the wisdom given here is given in the context of a treasured relationship. Now, the picture here is of God the Father speaking to those of us who are His children by faith alone in Christ alone. It's not given to an outsider. It's not available to a stranger. It's not given to an enemy. It's given to someone in the family, a son. So once again, we are we are reminded of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For God speaks to people who have been adopted into His family through faith alone in Christ alone and His work of dying in our place on the cross, rising from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and giving us the gift of eternal life. God speaks His wisdom to people who have been given the power to become children of God, by both believing in and receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that we're reminded. for, For we need, when it comes to wise living, we need more than just a list of rules, don't we? I mean, we need more than just ethical principles because when it comes to understanding how life in this world really works when it comes to skillful living we need more than a list of instructions we need our lives to be cleaned up and when we need our lives to be we want our lives to be cleaned up we want our lives to be good and full and beautiful and meaningful when uh, when we need that we need more than a list of rules We need more than instructions. We need a relationship with the living God uh, to walk with Him and live under His loving care and supervision moment by moment, day by day. And that only comes through the gospel. That only comes through our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so the father, my son, the father says to his son, to you and me, the context is my child. The Lord Jesus is speaking to you and me as his child, if you are his child through faith in Christ. And here's what he says look at verse 1. Wow, that's sound effects, isn't it? Don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. Don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. Once again, the father tells his child, his son, don't forget, all through the Bible, God says to his people, remember, 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 remember. Uh, Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget my mighty acts. Don't forget my faithfulness. Don't forget my faithfulness in what I did in your life in the past. Don't forget my word. Don't forget my truth. Don't forget my scriptures. He says, don't forget. Instead, let your heart... Keep my commands. Now, uh, it's easy for us to forget, not that we don't know it, but to forget in the sense of ignore what we know. Ignore what we know. And we're all prone to that, and we will never completely be free from that tendency as long as we're here on this earth. So he says, don't forget my word, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. Now this the term heart there does not refer to the, the physical organ that pumps blood through our bodies. It's referring to the core of the being of a human person, the center of our being. It's the seed of our, of our uh, emotions, how we feel. It's the seed of our of our thoughts, how we think, our mind, it's the 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 seat of our decision making, our will. Our heart is comprised of our our mind, our will, our emotions, our spirit. It is that part of us that most directly relates to God. It is the core of our being. And the son here is instructed to keep these the word of God, the commands of God and the teachings of God. The wisdom of God is found in the scriptures. That's where it is found. That's where it's found. It to keep it in our hearts. Now that you see the little Hebrew verb keep there? Uh, some of your translations say obey. Uh, our English language is quite limited there. This is a Hebrew verb that means it does mean obedience, but it means much more than follow or obey. It means it's a word that can be used to describe storing up, closely guarding, intently. Focusing upon radically following my word, my commands. That's what he is saying there. Closely follow, remember, keep in mind, guard, store up always, remember my commands in the core of your being, in how you feel, and how you think, and how you choose. Let them inform and rightly help you. Uh, interpret your feelings and how you respond to them. Let th- let my teaching inform uh, how you process uh, your your thoughts and what you think and how you decide the choice the choices that you make. It, that let them enable you to choose what intuitively may not seem the way to go. For you know, sometimes our we have stinking thinking, don't we? We think wrongly, and we and, and any time we say, "I know what the Bible says," but you're already over into stinking thinking. Or I know what the Bible says about this, but I really feel like you're already over into stinking feeling. I know what God says, but I'm going to. You're already into stinking deciding. You, you're. We you're, got to let God's word inform what we choose and. What we do with our feelings and how we think about things more as we go through this, as uh, we go through this uh, chapter. Remember, the book of Proverbs is full of God's wisdom, and He's saying, "Don't forget it." Instead, at the core of your being, follow my word is found in the Bible. So here, now, here, God has given a command. Here's this pattern; it's all through the third chapter. He's given a command: Don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And then He gives us an incentive to remember His command in His teachings. He gives us an incentive. And here it is. Uh, so, He gives us a command and He says this, that God's wisdom will, if we remember His teachings and keep them in our hearts. Verse 2, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. That sounds pretty good. Many days of full life and well-being. Now listen closely. We need to remember the nature of the writing here. These are Proverbs. Write this down on something. Write it on your hand. If you, these are Proverbs, not promises. These are Proverbs, not promises. Proverbs are instructions in wisdom from God that tell us how life will generally work if we follow His ways. There are many promises of God in the Bible that are if-then statements. If you do this, then I guarantee you I'll do this. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. This is what will happen. That's not what this is. This is, a, this is an incentive to obey the command in that God is saying, if you follow my will and ways, if you don't forget my, com- my teaching, and if you let your heart store up my commands, then generally this is what happens in life. Not all the time. Not all, uh, not all the time there. But now this is a pretty good incentive. For generally, he says, people who do not forget God's teaching and who store up his commands in their heart and all the working all the way out into obeying them, it generally brings many days of full life and well-being. Now, this term well-being is the is the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, In some of your translations it says peace here. I've been studying the, the, the biblical concept of shalom. Uh, the biblical sense of peace for a long, long time, and I still can't, Sean, I still can't fully get it. He's too big. Our our definition of peace is the absence of difficulty, the absence of pain, the absence of conflict. Uh, But God's definition of peace or shalom or what the quality that He will bring to our life, not only our life, but those around us, including our family, our neighborhood, our community, our nation, our world. He, he, he intends to do a work in us, in you and me, that will, will bless all people, not just His people, all people, the common good. is part of what He means when He says that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's for everybody. Preserving the culture... Uh, seasoning, flavoring society, bringing light instead of darkness, uh, that, that all people, whether they ever come to faith in Christ or not, the common good. And so he's saying here that that would be the general direction and outcome of someone who remembers his teaching and follows his commands. Now, so, but these are not promises that one can always expect to result in every situation. Many days, length of days, a long life many uh, of many years, a prosperous life, a full life, peace, well-being. Life will be satisfying. Life will be lived full and well. That, that's, that's what he says will happen generally. Now, some of you got to be asking the question, Pastor, are you saying that if we obey God, that God will always make us healthy and wealthy and comfortable in this life? No. Wish I could. No. I'm not saying that here, and neither is God. Uh-uh. Now, I do believe that nothing in this life works better than doing life with Jesus His way. Nothing this is practical... Even if you don't believe in Him, following His wisdom and guidance, life generally works um, better. But I do not believe that God is teaching that life will always be good. It will not. I've studied this a long time, and I'm not as old as some of you, but I'm older than most of you. And I have lived now well into my 63rd year on this planet. And I may I may be wrong, but it appears to me throughout the Scriptures that God is does not promise to us, those who follow Jesus, a pain-free, a problem-free, a prosperous and healthy life all the time that we're here on this earth if you follow Jesus. And I need for you to not misunderstand me. Uh, I have friends and I have acquaintances, uh, some who are pastors and teachers who do believe this, they do believe this is what the scripture teaches. I, I think fundamentally the problem comes with not rightly handling the word of God here and believing that this is a promise, not an incentive. It's not a promise; it's an incentive. It's generally the way life works. So, hear me closely. I, there, there—you'll see it on television. The bookstores, are, Christian bookstores, are full of this. Uh, there, there are ministries and churches locally that this is the primary belief, um, I need you to understand, I am not attacking any pastor or other Christ follower who believes this. Not at all. In fact, I am friends with some and love and respect all of my friends and acquaintances who differ from the position that I, it appears to me the Bible teaches that I'm taking on the issue. So, But that being said, it's important to know for you to know that the what is now co- commonly ha- called the God wants you to be healthy and God wants you to be wealthy and God wants you to be prosperous teaching generally is simply thinly veiled materialism. Now, I think my friends and acquaintances who hold to this position are pure hearted. I don't think that's their intent at all. I think they're honest men and women who are wanting to do the best they can to serve God. And I again, I respect them, so don't hear me slamming anybody. I understand how you can get there. But, but the health and wealth prosperity teaching of the Scriptures is thinly veiled materialism. It's actually not the worship of God at all. It turns God into uh, our slave to try to make Him do for us what we want done. It's what it does. It's what it does us. But it's just an attempt to get God to do what we want. Now, can I say this? All of us are tempted to do that in some realm, aren't we? I am. I mean, in other areas. And it, our, all of our lives are a journey of learning to really believe and really do and really say this prayer, not my will but thine, O Lord. That's easy to sing. It's easy to say. It's just hard to do it. Is it? I mean, really? Not my will. I really want this, God, but when I come to my prayers, I'm wanting to push the buttons and make Him a machine. If I push all the right buttons in the right order, it just the right stuff pops out. Don't you? But the, the health and wealth and prosperity teaching view of Scripture turns God into a mechanical kind of slave. Well, I just do this and believe this and say this and name this and claim that, there it comes. Great. Live like a king's kid. I've just noticed, though, that a lot of king's kids in the Bible got their head cut off. Well, they did. Well, they did. So so let's be very careful here. This is not what God is teaching us here. For God also gives us pain. He's not the only source of pain, but He does give us pain. And he does sometimes give us difficulty, and he sometimes does give us suffering. He always does it for our good. Well, thank you very much, God. Now you know we feel that way. But, but didn't you do something for your preschoolers that they didn't that was really good for them that they never understood? I can remember the day taking my baby girls in for their inoculations. I think if they'd had a wallet. On that day, they had to stop carrying my picture in it. That was painful. It was scary. Why are you let? why are you, look at daddy, why are you letting this, why are you doing this to me? Why are you taking me and let this person walk up and stick a needle in my leg? And squirmed and jumped and tried to get out and mom and daddy's holding them down and did you ever do anything like, am I the only one? I mean, y'all are looking at me like, you did that to your babies? <laughs> Why do we do that? It's for their good, right? Just know that God, God's most powerful use for good in our life is our suffering. Again, easy for me to say, not always easy for me to go through. I'm like the baby on the table squirming looking for a means of escape from the needle. But he does it for our good. The scripture does not teach that God wants everybody to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous all the days of their life. It teaches that he wants us to become like him. And whatever he uses to make us like him, he defines as good. Let's let God define what is good. This life is not all there is. We believe that humans are eternal beings, that this life is simply a short preparation for living in eternity, and, um, but this is not all there is. And so in the short while that we are here, God in Christ gives us, He says, a long life full of years and peace. He gives us some beauty. He gives us some thrills. He even gives us ecstasy from time to time. But also, one day, your body will begin to shut down. And one day your health will begin to decline. And one day you may lose your job or your kids may break your heart. Hard times come and they come to everyone. And the Father here, God the Father here is using a command, issuing a command to His Son and He gives the incentive of shalom, this greater well-being to follow the command. Generally, that's what happens. But He also gives another one. He also gives another one here. In verse 3, take a look at it. "...Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart." Now what do these words mean? Well, loyalty and faithfulness are both characteristics of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're both characteristics of the Lord our God. Uh, Loyalty means mercy. It means steadfast love and kindness. Um, Faithfulness here means what you think. It means faithful and true and kind. Loyalty and faithfulness are both characteristics of God. Mercy and truth are both characteristics of God. Steadfast love and kindness, as some of your translations translate this passage, are all characteristics of our, of our loving God with His love expressed to us in Christ Jesus again. And in, in, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now obviously, it would be a good thing for you and me to be loyal and to be faithful Uh, merciful, steadfast human beings, and and that's true. And may the Lord Jesus, through His love demonstrated to us on the cross, turn us into these kinds of people. But here, I believe that God is speaking through Solomon, wanting us never to forget His loyalty and faithfulness to us. This this is important. Hang on. I'm going to make you do a little work here. I I had to kind of stand on my head to phrase this. So here we go. He wants us to think about his mercy and truth, his steadfast love and kindness expressed to you and me through the gospel. Never let your thoughts of the loyal my loyalty and love and mercy and faithfulness to you through Christ Jesus ever leave you. Don't ever let it leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Make keep them at the forefront of our lives and our hearts. He's saying we are to meditate on the good news of Christ and the love of God toward us in Christ Jesus. Uh, this great salvation and love expressed to us while we were still sinners every day. And instead of letting this just kind of let's kind of forget this. We're to tie them around our neck and write them on the tablet of our heart. He's he's saying just Keep it at the forefront, externally, around your neck, you know, and and internally in your heart. Meditate on the gospel. He says, and if you keep thinking of my you see, this is the way we get further and further into God. Is just meditating on His incredible love for us. And again, I'm not speaking of just a general feeling of benevolence. I'm talking about the amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? That we think about Christ and what He did for us. And it's a love so amazing. The more you dwell on how and the more you learn and, and get the reality of how someone loves you, the more you trust them. You can't trust a single person that you don't love. And actually, you don't. If you do, you're you're unwise. You're foolish. And the more you get to know Christ and remember people who you love, and the way you get to love people is you are loved by them. You're loved by them, and uh, you become aware of His great love, and you trust in Him, and it changes us. And so, if we do this, second, in, there's a second incentive to follow. His teaching, and it is this, he says, Then you will find favor and high regard in the sight of God and man. Wow, look at that. The message translation of verse 4 says this, Then you will earn a reputation for living well in God's eyes and in the eyes of people. So so why, why do we forget? the gospel? Or why do we focus on other things? Why do we forget His teaching and His commands? And why do we forget the love of God expressed to us in Christ by His death on the cross and resurrection from the dead? Here's why. The reason we forget it, that we blow it off, we ignore it, do not keep God's teachings and His wisdom uh, in ways is because we forget the good news. We forget that in Jesus we have all we need for a good life, a meaningful life, a contented life, and a cleansed and beautiful life. He is all we need for that. And we begin to think, we begin to ignore Him. We begin to think, well, we need need Him and plus something. Why? Because we are not listening to His voice. We're not remembering His teaching. We're not listening to God the Father's voice. We are listening to other voices. We are listening to the convincing voice of our culture. Very powerful. We're listening to the convincing voice of the spiritual powers that are anti-Christ. We are listening to the leftover sinful tendencies in our own minds and wills and emotions and bodies. And these are very influential voices that convince us, well, Jesus is good, but I really, I really need that person or I want to have sex with that guy or I really want more stuff. And so we begin to think that a more beautiful or handsome face will uh, we'll be it. And we need to add on a beautiful body is what we need for our life to be good. Or we think that if we were just a better athlete that life would be better. We think if we could get a little more education, get a terminal degree that everyone then would admire us and we could have positions of power. And then that would be it. And then we begin to think, well, if I could just be rich or have a little bit more money or this income or that raise or that position, that would be it. It. Because that's very powerful, isn't it? It is. It is. And we forget the voice of the Lord Jesus in His teaching, in His gospel, in our lives. And we listen to these other voices that convince us that Jesus is okay. And of course, we we do mean that we need Him, but we must also have these are things because these things would cleanse our lives, these things would beautify our life. This would make my life good. This would be it. I always want to say, "Oh, so you're looking for it. I've done that. Anybody done that? I remember when I was a, this time of year, and the most famous, valued book in the world would come to our house. It was the Sears Christmas catalogue. Oh boy, turn the page. That would be it. And if I could have that bicycle and, and JB it was the it was the raised handlebar banana seat stingray bicycle. When that one came out, you remember that one? You remember that one? Oh that would be it. Well I got one. I mean it was fun. But third week I left it out in the rain, you know? I mean just it wasn't it was okay, but it was not it. And then I remember I remember in the seventh grade, there was this little girl named Mary Jane who sat over in the next row. She was really cute. Besides that, her daddy owned the Tasty Freeze. And if she would just go with, you know, be my girlfriend, oh, boy, that would be it. And so I asked her and she did. Well, she was close to it, but she found out I wasn't it. Yeah, you know, I was not it. You know, it's this position. It's that possession. It's this affair on the side. It's this uh, drink. It's this habit. It's this. And we listen to these voices and we, for, we don't hear God saying, Oh, my son, my daughter, don't forget my teaching, my word, my gospel. Don't forget my love expressed to you in my Son, Christ Jesus, for He is it. And that's where wisdom starts. So let's ask Him for it. Let's begin now. Pray with me. Just turn the place where you're seated into your own personal private place of prayer. And tell him once again, oh Lord, help me not to forget your gospel. Help me to know I have once again forgotten the wisdom that comes from your word, the Bible. I've not been reading it. I've not been memorizing it. I've not been meditating upon it. I've not been studying it. I've not been hearing it. I've not been heeding it. I've not stored it up, guarded it, followed it intently, and I have become unwise. Oh, Lord, help me instead to keep Your Word in my heart. And Lord, help me to never forget your loyalty and faithfulness to me expressed in your death on the cross in my place and your resurrection from the dead. That your love is amazing and that you, my King, would die for me. Help me to remember. Help me to press in. Help me to, to get my heart and head around and never stop trying to fully comprehend your love that is so big that it is incomprehensible that you may change me by it and make me wise. Oh, Lord, may we be overwhelmed by your love. That even when oceans of suffering rise, we will trust in you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.